With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Right Night is a talk show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivar. There we go. Thank you, Cogsley, for that intro. Uh, let's see. Uh, did that. Did that. See, it's a new format. we got to figure this stuff out. Topic intro. Tonight, we're going to be talking about foreshadowing, and that means foreshadowing in writing, in life, and for the show itself, and what's coming up in the future for us here on Write Night. Now, let me first of all say welcome, and the quick disclaimer, or am I out of order for that? Checking my order. Yeah, let's do the disclaimer right now. I'm Travis Sivart. I'm your host. I'm an author of... Oh, I am so excited about this. I just got this in the other day. Um, and I gave them to Andrea. Damn it. <laughs> what is it? It's... So I just... I, I've got my second book in the series. Oh, Hold on. We got a subscription here. Tracy hey. is subscribing again. Hey. Making that freaky music go. Thank you, Tracy. Appreciate that. There's to you. Uh, so I, I just recently published my second book in the Portal series, uh, Demons and Daggers, yeah. and I am seeing great response public for this. Got my first review today or yesterday, I forget which. Oh, um, awesome. And uh, yeah, she's read the first and the second book and reviewed both of them. I, I'm so pleased. Oh, nice. Now, let's see here. So nice, this, nice. Is, this is right night. Good to know, Aaron. That's uh, pretty standard there. Oh, oh, wait. She bought me it. Yay! Thank you, Andrea. Oh, wait. There we go. There we go. Portals Book 2 is now out and getting reviews. Yep. And all that good stuff. Now, <clears throat> that's my welcome. Oh, quick disclaimer. We are live on twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk, recording this as a podcast to put up Across the board on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Apple, Google, um, and Amazon. We were recently accepted onto Amazon Music and Podcasts. So that's very exciting for us there. Now, what else do we have before I give you guys a thing? I think I did it. I think that's where we're at. So let's give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. How about we just go alphabetical and start with Michael? Hello. My name is Michael Thompson. I am an author and an illustrator, and one of my books is Winslow Hoffner. Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters. It's a folkloric fantasy on the high seas about cryptid sea monsters, epic urban legends a few have beheld, but there's one man who's seen them all, the gallant fisherman Winslow Hoffner. He's regaling his tales of epic adventure to a couple of journalists who discover their small harbor town is harboring incredible secrets. What's up with book two? 
Book two is happening very soon in the new year, very the very beginning of the new year, so, and uh, hopefully books, more books to come as well. So when you say happening, you mean publishing? Yes, yes. Okay. It's gonna go. It's gonna go live around. I have. Uh, I have the first draft of, uh, or maybe the second draft of the second book done, and uh, gonna send it in for another round of editing, and I'm going to aim for the new year, and I want to try and try and pull a Travis and do like a rapid release type thing, you know, um, and, uh, get some more, get some more books up. Very cool. And what about yeah. the audio book? Oh, the audio book. I'll show, I'll show you this. I'll show you this. I did. Uh, I was talking with, with my author pals on here and they, and they, uh, convinced me to make some fun things. This is a, this is a CD, which this is just kind of cool. I'm going to have it on my table. Um, and check this out. This is all homemade, by the way. I made all this. Nice. You've got a steady hand to draw all that. Yeah. Each <laughs> one is hand-drawn. He also cool, did though. the cover of the original book, Just a proof too. of concept. Yes, I did. Um, and yeah, each and every book. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so this is uh, – the audiobook is coming out as soon as it goes through um, Audible's acceptance process. Um, but it's been a little bit slow on account of everything going on. Uh, but it's up there and I'm just, uh, waiting, waiting for its approval. And as soon as it's up, it will be announced. Let me know. And I want one of the CDs down the road if you have any remaining, but let's turn oh, it over cool. to Aaron here. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Aaron Kennedy. Uh, I've been a technical writer for 25 plus years. Uh, I've been published in the Army Times, uh, the NCO Journal. Uh, I also wrote Persona Non Grata, uh, the first of the uh, Ships of Valor series, and I'm working currently on the Icarus Black series, which takes place in that same universe. Yes. It's <laughs> I'm sorry. Our pre-show conversation, when you said Icarus Black, my mind went elsewhere. Anyhow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> There's the Ships of Valor right there. There's that. I don't have, I don't have portals yet, but I got Croker. Oh, there's Croker. It's actually, yeah. which is uh, my favorite of my short story cycles in the steampunk cycle thing. Hey, you got some bits. Yay! Thank you for that. Here's you, Tracy, showing your bits. And good for everybody else joining us. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Uh, not this Mike, the Mike in the chat, and everybody else who's popped in. It is good to see each and every one of you. Thank you for coming in. And, uh,. We will be trying to acknowledge your things as we go along. And we've got our new moderator right there in the chat with her Just the Tip logo icon there by her name. Andrea has Just the Tip. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. So I think we've done our intros. At this point in time, I want to let you guys know we do have merchandise available. Matter of fact, if you look, I am wearing a Right Night shirt right now. I ordered oh. one for each of the podcasts, and this thing, it is, I'm very pleased with it. I, I wore it for the first time today, and it's so comfortable and so soft, and I'm just loving it. It's, uh, and then I clicked a thing to take away all my sound effects when I was going to make some goofy-ass sound effect. So, uh, yeah, check out the merch. <laughs> it's below the screen down there, and Aaron might even pop the link up top here. Aaron, there is a command if you want to do that. If you just do exclamation point merch, or if Andrea wants to do that, it will drop hey. that down there. 
March, okay. March, March. So I like all your dancing lights back there, Travis. Oh, thank you. A little atmosphere going yeah. on there, right? It's a, I think I need to adjust this camera a little because I'm sitting up all straight instead of leaning back all comfy. Yeah, I like that disco feel. Yeah, um, man. Other than that, I do want to remind everybody we also have Talk of the Tavern on Monday nights as well as up as a podcast in addition to our Dungeons & Dragons game with Aaron on both of those on Sunday nights. 8 o'clock Eastern, just like this. I think that's the whole thing, right? We're, we're good at this point? We're I think good. That's, uh, that's we got the, the beginning. We got the intros. We've got the preamble we done. The, we need the teaser. There we go. Yeah, now for the topic setup. And that's yes. topic, not toxic. That'd be different. The prologue. <laughs> well, it could be a toxic setup, but it can be. Let's lean in. So, with foreshadowing, what we're looking at with foreshadowing is that is hints of what to come, leading into what possibilities lay in front of us. And I want to branch out through multiple layers of this one. First of all, we're going to apply it to writing. Um, but I think we're going to start out with talking about foreshadowing for the show. I have taken a break for a few weeks here. And now we're coming back as uh, my scheduling allows, and we have honed the show a little bit to make it a bit tighter and sleeker and wetter, or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> highly what, nutritious uh, <laughs> for the mind. There we go. It's delicious for the higher brain. viscosity. <laughs> higher viscosity, yes. <laughs> It is synthetic right night, thought. Back and extra viscous. <laughs> um, that reminds me of when I would play uh, the the drove modules in the eighties. There was a wand of viscous globs, and this is where I learned oh, the yeah. word viscous. That. That's a also a common mistake if you're trying to write the word vicious, which can drastically change a single letter can drastically change a whole sentence. That's very yes, true. but it can make it can make it so much better too. Yeah. <laughs> That makes me want to drink more whiskey. Uh, mm -hmm. By the way, I do want to let everybody know, in the future of Right Night and the other podcasts, when we are live streaming starting next week, it will be subscriber only because you are our live studio, studio audience, and this is going to be one of those perks of subscribing to get into the subscriber-only um, things. So besides that, uh, I believe only moderators... Um, I'm not sure if VIPs will be able to pop in. We'll test that theory. And we'll Free with Amazon Prime. That's very true. That's a great point right there. If you have Amazon Prime, yeah. you can subscribe to one Twitch channel per month at no cost to you, but it still supports that streamer. So, And we are obviously the best, so please. <laughs> well, we try to be the best. We work harder. Yeah. <laughs> harder, faster, stronger. Don't. More viscous. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Let's just go with extra butter and more viscous. Ooh. So, yeah, the more extra butter. butter is a joke from a different tabletop role-playing game we streamed. Um, oh, matter of fact, there's awesome. even this noise here. Uh, hold on, let me find it for everybody. Would you like butter on that, sir? There we go. Hey, look at that. Tijinter just came in and subscribed. Tijinter says Thank legend you. has it. Travis is an actual sentient whiskey decanter that legend. launched himself into Travis the internet to better craft his human simulacra. Has launched himself into the internet to better craft his human simulacra. Oh, there we go. 
Thank you, Tajinter. Appreciate that. Here's to your face. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Here we go. As Andrea said, my moderator, my favorite moderator, she says, subscribe now or you may have to wait until the broadcast is uploaded. And that's very true. Mm -hmm. if you want to be part of the live that's audience. That's nowhere near fun. It's fun, but not nearly as fun. Yeah, we hopped on here because y'all are our favorites. <laughs> it's, a, they are. it's a true story. Objectively so. I don't object to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Subscriber needed. Yes. Cool word. I like it when he makes up words. Okay. A lovely neologism. So so I'm trying to give the lead into the topic here at foreshadowing. Yes. I think we covered it on the show side. On the writing side, you know what? I'm going to leave that for one of you guys. Did I miss anything on the show side? For the future of the uh, show, what are you guys looking forward to? The live audience. I think it's good. I think you what, what yeah, you I, hit the, I think you hit the five, six major points. <laughs> my name is Aninga Montoya. You kill my father, prepared it. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, your introduction. Who you are. We got that. Friggin' uh, what to expect. We got that. Mm -hmm, Wait, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. we're past the intro. This is the actual discussion. Oh, good to go. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we made it this whole show is foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> What's the no, no, no. the show? Okay, going, wait, wait, going back to Diego Montoya. Hello. Oh, what's going on here? My name is Diego Montoya. Oh, this seems like a nice interaction. You killed my father. Whew, we flipped it on its end. Yes. Which is an important oh. part of foreshadowing. We're flipping things on its if end. If I can interrupt real quick here. Real quick. Yes. There's another subscription. Freedom in Thank Spring. You. Here's your Yay. face. Thank you for supporting That's the channel. That's a buddy of mine. Glad Thank you. you. Oh, Thank you. Mike's friend. Mm-hmm. Woo. You rock. Yay. Okay, Eric. Carry on. Yeah, no, no. But but I think the Diego Montoya friggin' introduction is essential to kind of highlight foreshadowing. Because, yeah. again... Did you say essential or just sensual? Yes. Viscous. Viscous. <laughs> Oily, even. <laughs> well, like a lubricant for society. Mm. <laughs> Go on. But, no, no, I think it is essential uh, because it's one of those... You don't... A foreshadowing doesn't work if you're already on the rails to get there. It has to be something that is a change of tracks. So, oh, then I'm going to go back to Persona Non Grata because it's the book that I'm most familiar with, having written it. Yes. Hey, hey yes, yes, yes. Hey, we start off with this story. The guy comes back to, uh, he lands on the moon and wants to go back to Earth. The problem is he can't go back to Earth. Our foreshadowing is when the gate slams in front of him. Something has gone drastically wrong. And he doesn't know what it is yet. All he does is, uh-oh. And that's where we need, that's where all the foreshadowing kind of goes into play, is when our protagonist or our narrator, either or, gets the that uh-oh moment. The, the, the view into the, um, the reader's mind, which can be either the protagonist as our narrator, or our narrator as a third-person describer narrator <laughs> he can tell us these things uh, Hoffner does this well too because he goes okay where does things go off the rails mm -hmm. and it happens in each Winslow. chapter Winslow yes Winslow Hoffner gotcha Winslow Hoffner. for those of you that aren't familiar the main character of I, I sorry to say it Mike my favorite book of Michael's 
Thank you. I, I'm I, I'm not sorry to hear it. <laughs> I think it's I think yeah. Uh, Winslow, and that's that's great. When I when I sent it off to my beta readers and I and I always asked them. I was like, who which character do you connect with the most? Which blah blah blah. And then and they're like Winslow, Winslow, Winslow. And they all they all like the main character the best, which is really cool because usually. Well, well, John is kind of the main character of Winslow, but the book itself is, and he's a journalist, and his interaction with him is a lot like journalism because he's telling someone else's story, um, and you're sort of steeping into, yeah, but he is our titular character, and very much a main character. You know, I look forward to seeing the next World of the Orb book, mm-hmm, but I'd mm-hmm. almost recommend you consider bumping their age older, because They're when get- you- they're getting older. Get it closer yeah. to your age because mm-hmm. that's where you're relating. And it also gives you that Narnia thing in the second Narnia book when they weren't went back. They were no longer school age. They were, you know, entering adulthood and everything. It's, uh, yeah, in, in the second World of the Orb, I, I believe um, we catch up with them almost immediately after and then like a summer has passed. Uh, so it's not a massive age up. Um, but... It is interesting when I when I first wrote Winslow, I was actually younger than my main character John, and up until that point, all of my characters had been my age, and like I had to, I was constantly because Orb took so long because I was in school at the same time, so I was like constantly bumping their age up until I got to you know uh, juniors in high school. I'm like I'm stopping there. I think that's fine. No, I'm curious. I've heard the main character's name is John in World of the Orb, and it's also John in Winslow, no. the journalist. No. No, John is um, John Chaplin in Winslow, and Marvin and Andy are the main characters. In oh, okay. World of the Orb. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I misspoke. But, sure. um, Quick comment from Tajinter mm-hmm. here regarding foreshadowing. He says, or you start at the end and rewind to tell the story of how you got to the point. Thor Ragnarok did that pretty well, but it played it straight by having them still be in the cage at the start of the movie. So... The uh, the James Bond series kind of does this really really well, uh, and I believe friggin' uh, oh shoot you're friggin' uh, Silver and Smith. <laughs> Thank you. I, I kept getting locked onto steel for some reason. Yeah, Silver and Smith. Uh, the idea of ending on the last adventure to where we get that that hype there, and then we roll into but that's the next not foreshadowing. Adventure. No, but it's setting up. It can be foreshadowing. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's a tempo. Uh, it definitely sets up tempo. Right, and it. Oh, go ahead. Uh, regards to what uh, Mike just it, said there, um, it might. What I might start doing in the future as I'm doing this is do make that last tail end of that adventure foreshadow the ending of the next thing. I wonder if I could tie that in. Huh. What were you saying, Aaron? Uh, the, uh, the James Bond, well, the James Bond novels kind of do that, but but by setting your your intro, your preamble, your your first arc, uh, you set the roller coaster level of okay. Our first big hill is the same as our last big hill, right? Get that nice one, and you get your freaking ups and your downs and things like that. But the idea is that we are foreshadowing the ride you're going to go on, not necessarily what's there just kind of set the expectation it's kind of like walking through disneyland as you go through the line the well you go through the line and you kind of get a feel of oh this is what this ride is about 
Yeah. Okay. Space Mountain sets up the feel of the ride, even though you haven't stepped foot on it yet, and so does Splash Mountain. Completely different rides, but you know what you're getting into. That's right. That's true. That's right. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's right. That's true. So once again, (laughs) let me flip us back here. Do either of you have any thoughts when it comes to the foreshadowing of what's to come? With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com smartmarketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. Come for right night as a show. Oh, as a show. Ooh. Mm. I think we're doing uh, well. Really, it's kind of a massive redesign. We we got what we want. We got the seed, okay. And we know that seed's going to eventually grow into this big ass tree. We don't know necessarily <laughs> what this tree is going to look like. I've never had an ass tree. <laughs> well, sir, didn't you just install a bidet? <laughs> so wait a second. <laughs> well, I'm watering it. <laughs> right. But no, we got the seed and we got the idea of what the street is going to be. It's one of those, like, you know what they were going to be up for. Hold on. You don't know what that Hold on. Hold on one, one second. Okay, try again. You, you, you started to crackle. I wanted you to pause so it cleared. Oh, okay. Go ahead. No problem. We've got this acorn and we know it's going to be an oak tree. We don't know necessarily what that oak tree is going to look like, but when you've seen one oak tree, you've seen countless oak trees. They may, They don't all look the same, but they all look like oak trees. Um, but what we're trying to do is create this new and unique podcast thing that's happening in here designed around the right night kind of format or sorry, right night theme and creating a great format to match what we've got in our heads. So we've got the energy, we've got the people, we've got the kind of the ideas and the topics we want to hit, but we got to get it to turn into a tree. And what about you, Michael? Any thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, we were as we were talking about it in our pre-show. Uh, some of the things that um, you said that got me the most excited were like you know the mailbag and all these uh, different um, segments. So it's going to be segmented, and that that to me makes it feel like a really really cool show. So there's going to be these segments that you know you can look forward to. In addition to you know just us giving our thoughts and uh, you and us enjoying your your lovely presence. So, <laughs> I but I, I just seg- segments make me really excited because oh, that, that therein lies the structure, and and you and you know where you are and what's to come, and that's and each segment can foreshadow the next. <laughs> so, and on that note, friggin' these segments give the audience, our friggin' the people that we're here for, a chance to interact in advance they know what's coming they see what's here uh we talked about the mailbag that's going to be coming at the end of the show and things like that so even if they don't get a chance to interact with us via chat and they go oh my god i was listening to this via the podcast uh they can send us an email and they're yeah. going to be able to go oh i want to talk about this one second hold on go ahead okay try again 
I'm stopping oh. you when you crackle because oh. what I'm thinking is when you get a certain level of energy and there's so much going through your mic, I think that's when it's starting to crackle. Ah, it's my personal magnetic field that's screwing things Could up. Be. So I've got to down. It's your creative, your, your creative juices. Ew. Your yeah. creative juices. <laughs> we might have to get a different mic or at least sanitize this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, what I think is going to, uh, the, the segments are going to give a chance for people to interact at a more consistent level. Well, let um, me also. The mailbag. Okay. I should save this till the end. Go on. Uh, the mailbag um, where people can go, oh, wow, they had this great point about such and such, which is going to be a consistent theme or a consistent topic that we hit throughout. We're going to be able to rehit those topics. It may not necessarily hit next show, but it, we've got this massive archive of things that we're going to have available to us so that we can go back and interact with our subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I mention, oh, wow, I loved how uh, Hofner friggin' ties into this, they can go, oh, wow, I also saw how it tied into this. We can go back to that as we're talking about other topics. Oh, by uh, the way, um, speaking of tying in, Michael, I think when I write Journal of a, Journal of a Stranger Part 3, instead of tying in World of the Orb, or possibly in addition to tying in World of the Orb, I should tie in Winslow Hoffner instead for an addition. <laughs> a little cameo? It's I. You know what? I feel Croker Norge and Winslow could be drinking buddies. <laughs> well, Winslow actually does not drink, believe it or not. Okay. He only drinks root beer. Well, he drinks, so He just doesn't drink alcohol. Drink I didn't say it had yeah, to be right. alcohol. <laughs> okay, it's all right. right. I, I jumped, to, jumped to conclusions. It's I thought a, you were foreshadowing uh, alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, uh, Tincher uh, asked a great question here. Uh, does the start of Star Wars count as a type of foreshadowing past the scroll up uh, where you have this image of uh, uh, Tantive Four blast past the, uh, and then we have a massive Star Destroyer scroll past, etc. Um, it really does the opening, does the cold intro for Vader and Leia count as foreshadowing? No. That is not foreshadowing at all. That is setup. That is setting the tone and whatnot. That is not foreshadowing. Just like I said with the James Bond books, the end of his last adventure sets your tone, sets your expectation, but it is not foreshadowing anything later. It's just letting right. you know you're jumping into a moving train here. This is something that never right. stops. Right. Um, which, I, and from, oh, go ahead. I want to say a couple of quick things here before we move on too far from the previous topic. And that is, if you guys want to send something to our mailbag, rightnightshow at gmail.com is the address for that. You can send us birthday greetings. You can send us um, your thoughts on the topic if you're listening on the podcast instead of in person. And we can refer to the next show if it's uh, something we want to bring up. But I also really want to point out, as we tweak the show in very subtle ways and in other ways, very obvious ways, I want to make sure people understand our other friends that we've had on with us. Let me give a quick hello to uh, What's Up, It's Q. Thank you for that follow. Um, Hey, thanks, Q. Is that another friend of yours? Yeah, that's a buddy of mine. He has a great uh, channel. Uh, go follow him, too. He does, he streams games. There you go. Q, do a uh, exclamation point me. Um, 
I want to mention Tara Moeller, Tempe, and Elizabeth Pickle Lady. Um, they've been on with us shows before, as well as uh, John from Jersey's Cars and Comics and Conquest Publishing. These folks might still come back and join us on guests on very specific episodes. But right now, looking at how podcasts are built, this is the best way to do it. Andrea, would you be kind enough to give What's Up It's Q a shout out, please? So exclamation point S-O space and then the name will do that. Or Aaron, you're always welcome to do shout outs also in that same manner. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I want to make sure everybody realizes the other people we've had on the show will be visiting us when the topic is pertinent. To what they do and their area of expertise but we're going to bring it down to just the three of us because it makes it a, a tighter faster show it makes it more understandable and relatable it's, uh, i don't think i'm saying this well anybody branch out on this and expound on this a little uh, better really the idea is to make a clean efficient show that still maintains our tonal consistency uh which was what we had before so with four or more people, you get a lot of cross purposes and a lot of lag. So with three, everybody's kind of gets the, the feel, the talk and things. We can get guests in here and it makes it easier. Very similar to a radio show where you've got about three people running around. Very true. I love to watch Michael's face while he types to people in chat. Because I also <laughs> now want to something. I now want to play <laughs> poker with Mike. Also, oh, do I have a talent? <laughs> oh, you you get so happy. You what can see I... you're happy. You're smiling as you're typing and everything. Um, I mean, you should see me when I write books. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I do the same thing. How about I jump when, around and do action? How about scenes. when you're <laughs> writing and you start crying as you write the scene, and you're like, God, I hope at least one other person cries during this too. I wept writing Winslow too. Did I you? wept so many times. Oh, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Tara said that she cried at the climax scene. Hold on, we'll pause for that joke. Uh, at the climax scene in Portals One, and then mm. when she read Portals Two, this is she's like, "This is the best character development you've done yet." Awesome, dude. So yeah, I'm very pleased with that kind of feedback. And what my cat just fell not very smart um <laughs> when you can when you can put that emotion into a book and when that translates for someone else and it moves them like that that's the best thing you can hope for as an author absolutely absolutely well second best i like money <laughs> sorry <laughs> that can move you to tears too <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, don't get me wrong i'll cry on my freaking no <laughs> so oh my god <clears throat> so now going back to actual foreshadowing in writing yes. didn't we have three layers we had for the show we had for something else and then we had for writing what what is the missing piece here for foreshadow we'll talk about that soon we will get to that last hold that thought let's talk about foreshadowing in writing michael okay real quick just to start the ball rolling yes or no have you foreshadowed in any of your books? Oh, yeah. What's your I think there's foreshadowing. Good. Oh. Roll with it. Uh, there's I, uh, there's a moment. I don't know if I want to spoil it, but um, I'm kind of, my mind is on, like, setups and payoffs. 
which I think counts as foreshadowing. It's just like really subtle. You know, you can't like point to it and know that it's foreshadowing. Right. But it's drawing upon an ability or something that a character has or something that that's just anything that's been established in the story, which contributes in a new surprising and 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 uh, and shocking way later. Um, and there's uh, and it starts in the in the first chapter in Winslow. Um, something that he has when, after we've we've established Winslow and, and what he's like, and and John has gotten to know him, and there's and there's this whistle that he blows, uh, and there's there's a bit of foreshadowing in, in that chapter alone when he blows the whistle, and he's just, you know, John at the beginning of the chapter he thinks he's a kook, he's like, <laughs> he thinks he thinks he's going out to have a smoke break, and he pulls a whistle out and just blows it at the sea, and then he comes in later, um, but then we see what that whistle actually does. Oh, is and, it like a boson's uh, whistle? It's a boson pipe, yeah. That's Ooh, right. Look and, at you, Sam. Boson pipe. Yeah, boson pipe. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I know it. I, it can be either. It could be called either. Um, and I actually looked up the specific uh, naval uh, melodies um, for uh, what certain things mean. Right. And uh, Travis, you've heard you've heard the first chapter. So so the tune that he plays that's that's described in chapter one is is um, is for mess hall is for dinner so that's all i'll say <laughs> so i don't now, that's I don't book spoil one it. or book two that's book one okay that, that's in the first chapter book one he, and he plays a different tune later on uh but i also i don't want to spoil that either because it's really really cool i mean I, I know what happens and it blows my mind every time i i, I read it myself but <laughs> one of my favorite mm-hmm. things about foreshadowing as a reader is not even realizing it was done till the second time I read the book. That's right. That's and, right. Yeah, that's what kind of setups and payoffs are. Right. In my mind. I mean, if well, there's I, a uh, one second, Aaron, I'll pass it right over. There's a unconscious or subconscious payoff with foreshadowing, <clears throat> even if you don't realize, oh, 100, 150 pages ago, that was hinted at, and now it's paying off because it was subtle. Yeah. But that second yeah. time you go through that book and you're like, oh, man, that's coming. I remember yeah. that. And something that's so simple on the first read can give you chills when, when your eyes uh, uh, glide over it. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, and it, it changes the experience of the second read. It does. Aaron, what were you going to say? Well, I mean, if you look at like comedy and things like that, uh, co- comedians have callbacks. They have callbacks yeah. to previous jokes to get another, to get that second hit, and it's all foreshadowing leading up to what the what the big payoffs are. Right. They tell a small joke at the very beginning to get a bigger payoff here, yep. and then a bigger payer, so on and so forth. They set up the roller coaster. You got to have a small hill to get the momentum to get you to the next big hill, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, a great movie that had one of these great great payoffs is quickly down under um spoilers because the movie's 40 years old uh tom <laughs> Selleck. I, I, I gotta point this out i remember watching it in the theater <laughs> right right because the movie's 40 years old <laughs> and movies were only a nickel back then <laughs> i'm kidding no, uh, i couldn't tom afford Selleck. a nickel <laughs> right uh tom Selleck plays quickly he goes down to australia um to be a hired gun he's got a rifle uh, and one of the comments he makes is that he doesn't have much use for handguns, not much use for revolvers and things like that. This is an old west, wild west. It's a wild west movie. Um, the payoff is at the very end, 
when they hand him a pistol and he's got to fight a couple guys off. And he basically shoots three guys in the chest in a fraction of a second. And he goes, no, no, I said I never had a use for them. Not that I didn't know how to use them. Right. Mm. There we go. And, and Ginter just said that. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to read Freedom in Spring's comment here. Realizing new profound things about a book every read is often the mark of a classic. It is a beautiful thing. And Very foreshadowing true. is definitely one tool to do that, to bring new things, layers and depth, and also perception. Well, I, I guess to put it super bluntly, perception as you age. If you can write a book that layers things, so when a teenager reads it, it gets it from the teenager's or the younger character's point of view, but when you're 40 and read it, you have a totally different point of view. And that's a beautiful thing. Aaron, that, and then I've got a couple other things I took notes on I'd like to comment on. Go ahead. Okay, No, and I was I was on Reddit uh, earlier this week, and somebody had make, made the comment about the sweet life of Zach and Cody, I think it is. Okay. Uh, old Nick show. Kids living in a hotel room and things like that. When he was young, he's like, oh, wow, it's great to be these kids. And then as he aged, he's like, holy shit, their dad who's trying to run this hotel, and he's got these kids that are just causing a constant mess, and you start to go from wanting to be like the kids to wanting to be like the babysitter to wanting to be like the dad who's just dealing with all this part of the phrase shit storm that the kids and the babysitter are perpetuating in this hotel that you're just trying to make a living at. <laughs> Your crackles censored your bad word. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Perfect. Perfect, then. So a couple storm, other things. I said storm, sir. Um, something a lot of people don't realize about comedians because comedians – there's a reason they make great actors, and that is because their little 10-minute spot or their one-hour show, that has been written and rewritten and honed and tweaked and all these things constantly to, to make it as tight as possible and then tweaked per region and audience. So if you have an older audience or younger audience, if you're in Texas versus New Hampshire versus California – you hit different beats, you hit different jokes, or you tell them in a different way, so it twists it differently for that region. Um, even Republican versus Democrat, if you know that. As a comedian, you're aware. But that writing setup that Aaron mentioned a few minutes ago, where it's that roller coaster, something people don't realize about comedians is whether they buy their jokes or write them themselves, they're incredible structurally to to be yep. to be a successful comedian or stage magician you have to have your banter so it feels so fluid and natural and improvised but none of it is if somebody comes sees your next show it is 93% the same exact content in the same order with the same inflection as the previous show um and that's actually I'm going to grab something real quick from the background. Go ahead. And then I, I'd like to talk about foreshadowing in my books also. But what were you going to say, Aaron? Uh, you'd, you'd hit on some of the regional stuff and like that. Cheech and Chong. Hold on. So we got money in the air. Andrew, thank you for showing us your bits. Appreciate that. Here's a little love to you. Uh, Cheech and Chong actually talked about this when they were talking about developing their act and things like that. They talk about making the perfect hamburger. Um, where they 
oh, we start off in Los Angeles and we got this one hamburger, which is great for this audience. And they figured out, okay, we got to trim this out if it's going to work in Minneapolis. And then we can add this and then we do this. And it's a perfect hamburger for a nationwide audience. And they talk about that. Uh, whereas you kind of lead into it with a banter piece. Um, Penn and Teller talk about it. And they, they patterned their patter off of uh, a guy who sold waterless skillets. They went in space available in these carnivals uh, where the guy was selling these skillets. And it was just one of those, okay, hey, do this. But their patter is based off of that. They developed this perfect patter based on what they wanted their goal to be. Uh, comedians do this. They figure it all out. In the modern era, we got Chris Rock. Chris Rock friggin' showcases everything. And he does it on the road nonstop before he goes before a studio audience or anything like that. Um, and he's doing it constantly. And he's probably in the 5,000 hours to one hour of stage time range. Um, whereas some of the other comedians are, okay, I do it at my local set, build it up, I do a year, and I produce a comedy special. Uh, and it changes the dynamic. And you can see how refined everything is. Travis? Q just asked a great question. When it comes to foreshadowing, do you ever find yourself making a moment and retracking just to put it in a great foreshadow moment in an earlier chapter? What is that? Who got a vibrator? Uh, uh, that was actually my uh, dryer going off, uh, <laughs> saying that it was done. Um, <laughs> but it was from across the room, so you can imagine how loud it is here. Okay. So, answering Q's question, who wants uh, to start? Yeah. Uh, not to go back in time to fix a continuity error or a continuity piece, uh, but to adjust it to make the foreshadowing more obvious. Uh, there's a scene where my protagonist actually has to use the firearm that he's been carrying since the beginning, but a couple of my beta readers forgot that he was carrying it. So I had to go back in and kind of hit that point so that it made sense as to why he was there. Uh, our editors have a tendency to say, okay, why is this here? Why is this here? Get rid of this. It's no longer, it's not important. Um, and we've talked to this with uh, Tara as to, okay, you got this, and in regards to other people's books, and the person goes, no, 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 this is important in book two or book three. Hold on, you're skipping, so I'm just oh, sorry. making you pause. Go on. Um Sometimes foreshadowing is not just in the current work, but in future works that you've got to make sure that those seeds are there, those plot points uh, exist for you to exploit later on. And you may not, or they give you avenues to explore later on in case you run into roadblocks that don't work. What about or you, Mike? Change up. What about you, Mike? Um, uh, I... Well, what's interesting is most of the time, most of the time, no, most of the time, uh, I don't even, I don't even know that it's significant until, until later on. Uh, and I'm, I'm just kind of like pleasantly surprised, um, with, uh, with the, with the most recent Winslow book, I did, I probably did it the most, uh, consciously and, um, and I, I was aware of them as I was doing them. And uh, I had a conversation with one of my beta readers where, where he, there, there were like kind of two major reveals in in this one chapter. So, it was it was uh, one had this big emotional uh, uh, 
strike and and then and then it kind of eclipsed the other one so so we didn't notice e even even though even though it was uh shown and i said i said read this section again and read this section again and then i I got to watch his reaction live, which was pretty cool. He's like, wait, does this mean? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, whoa. And his mind was blown. And I was like, okay, so the breadcrumbs are there, but I need to make the breadcrumbs bigger. <laughs> so that was, that's probably, um, that's probably, that's probably the closest, you know, a couple of things referring to that. And then I'd like to, once again, go back to foreshadowing I've done in my books mm -hmm. from like 20 minutes ago. Um, from what you were saying, there is subtle foreshadowing and obvious foreshadowing. I mm -hmm. myself tend to lean towards the side of subtle. I would rather somebody miss it and catch it in a second reading most of the time, but not all the time. Yeah, it depends on the review. Um, right. And also, I feel like subtle foreshadowing, if it's bringing it out in later books, is better. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were just writing a, a standalone book, Make it a little more obvious. Make him hit it that first time. Because people, in my experience, are more likely to reread a series than a single book. Yeah. Um, now, mm. yeah. here's I something agree. else. Let me tell you this. Character arcs are often foreshadowing through the whole book. Oh, yeah. The, the classic plot points, the hero's journey, and so on and so right. forth. Right. When you're like, this is my protagonist's problem. This is the problem he's harping on. You expose this in Act 1, you fill it up in Act 2, and you resolve it in Act 3. As If you're, if you're beating that drum as you go along, people are going to know this is something your protagonist is dealing with. They're trying to overcome, and you want to give that payoff. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, almost less uh, foreshadowing and more there's another word. Basically pointing at it, going, we're aiming over there. We're going to hit that point. Um, Trajectory. Yeah. Um, viscous. Now, <laughs> viscous. That's it. It's uh, just viscous. It's, uh... <laughs> so in, in a lot of my books, I foreshadow, and again, depending if it's subtle or obvious, the one I foreshadow most in is Downfall Book One, Harbinger, mm. because I want mm -hmm. that to be a longer series, a heavier series, and definitely interwoven and connected. Whereas, for example, Portals, I am writing more... I want the books to feel standalone, even though they are interconnected. Mm -hmm. and, yes, Aaron? All right. Uh, Tinger brought up the uh, concept of Chekhov's gun. Uh, which I alluded to a little bit earlier, versus foreshadowing. Um, and the idea of a Chekhov's gun is that every element of a story must be necessary to the story, whether self-contained or within the greater series itself. And, by the um, way, quick advice for writers. That is a great idea, and it is super helpful, and movie makers will almost nail you to a cross if you don't do it, because they only have so much time. So keep that well, in mind. Yeah. And uh, they'll expensive. flip it on its rear and call it a plot hole. What's going on here? Why is this here? Why does it need to be here? Let's cut it out. Right. Um, um, really? Uh, and he, the follow-on here is Jack Sparrow and uh, Pirates right, of the Caribbean had this pistol that he wouldn't use until he could shoot Barbosa. Uh, uh, which made sense. 
that was a major plot point. That was the MacGuffin of that story, or one of them. Um, there are... I like little tiny irrelevant details, but I come from the Claire, uh, the Chris Claremont school of plot seeds um, to where we're building this universe. There's, there's okay. a difference between an irrelevant detail and world building or character building. And those details become relevant if they build that world or flesh out that character more. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you're tossing out seeds just to toss out seeds. Right. Uh, it's, okay, do I want to explore this point? When? Uh, and it, right now, this is the first really big project. I started with uh, the Ships of Valor series, the Persona Non Grata, and my real goal was to make four books, one for each of the four ships that I allude to in this. And then I realized that one of the ships is going to be better suited towards Icarus Black. Um and that series, so the book spirals out of control. But I've got all these little seeds out here. Some of them make more sense in this series than they do in the main storyline. Um, yeah. And I fall into the trap that George Lucas did, to where we got Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which takes place in, I what, nominally 1939, 1941. And then we go back to Temple of Doom, which takes place two, three years prior to that. Right. Um. So where so you got these seeds that kind of that happen and you go, oh, I can play with this. And then I can jump forward and I can play with it here where things are taking place. Uh, so Chekhov's gun is a great universal principle. Uh, know the rules, break the rules. Uh, as I said on previous podcasts, um, where you can't break the rules if you don't know them. And if you don't know the rules, you can't break them in the new and interesting ways. Go ahead, Travis. Michael had his hand up. Michael, you oh, got to hold yeah. it up longer for him to see it. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'll do that. Um, so Chekhov's gun, I think, uh, I think Chekhov's gun is a great place to use world building. Um, and, and world building is a great place to, uh, to use massive, massively, uh, in advance foreshadowing. So, uh, within the world building of like World of the Orb, I have details that won't become relevant until like book five, and there are things that are just in the background that just shows this living, working uh, environment, um, which makes the image more specific. And uh, the more specific the image, the more universal the message and the experience. So the characters look at that and, and they see it, and they see you know this living world, and so it works in the world building sense. But later on, it's going to be this. It's 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 foreshadowing something that no one's going to expect um and then uh yeah what what was that uh and this goes back to kind of uh, the thing of if we're going to foreshadow what's our payoff yeah um and the other thing is to have a payoff we have to have an emotional friggin' strike or an emotional investment we got to build up to it to make it worthwhile and get something there um so, oh, yeah, it's great to put this here. In it. Oh, wow, that's a cool little trick. Or, oh, we've... With uh, Winslow, all right? He likes his cryptids. We build up there, and then when things happen to the cryptids that he's searching for, because mm -hmm. he's not hunting them, he's searching for them. That's when right. something happens to them, we get the emotional payoff of his anger. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, which does not work if you don't foreshadow a little bit this throughout the story, if you don't seed it out pri- previously. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that, that was that was an interesting thing when I when I, when I was writing Winslow, just figuring out because he's a pretty easygoing guy until something like that happens. So you get to know him, and then and you get to know the other characters as well. And seeing what makes um, each of those characters explode in a certain way at, 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 in the finale is very interesting. So it, it was cool for me, like seeing what made Winslow lose his cool in the finale and what made Scalpy lose his cool <laughs> in the finale. Okay, I've got a quick thing and then I want to refer to something here in the chat. Um, besides what we've already mentioned, do you guys feel there are very specific rules for foreshadowing of what would they, you say they are? And then, after you guys give a quick description of what you think the rules for sure foreshadowing are, when do you break those rules? Ooh. Mike, you want to start on this one, or do you need a moment? Um, I think I think the rules for foreshadowing is to uh, introduce it in a way that is not unnatural, introduce it in a way that naturally fits, and uh, have it have it have it be a, a part of the story. Have it have it don't just be like you know this is going to become important later on, unless it's a comedy because it, then it works great in a comedy. Um, uh, like in, uh, I just rewatched Deadpool two recently, and <laughs> and uh, they were foreshadowing the Juggernaut, and then and then Deadpool looks at the camera and says he's right next to a steaming pile of foreshadowing, and that's pretty funny. It's like okay, so this is going to come in later, um, and then uh, yeah, have have it be organic, and then uh, for your payoff, it's it's either going to be uh, unless unless you want it to be, I think you would break the rules when it is uh when you're trying to subvert or uh redirect uh expectations but make sure make sure it's noticed so you may have to put in multiple references um multiple organic references okay aaron do you have a thought um, and then pass it to me i do i do uh mystery novels kind of do this really really well uh right. with the concept of red herrings and things like that they mm-hmm. lay down your clues which are all parts of the foreshadowing and things like that. Because we get, you want to get your uh, your reader's mind going in one direction. Um, it doesn't matter what the direction is. You're just trying to get them to go along a path. We're all humans. We all think the same. We're all going to get to the same point. Penn and Teller's misdirection just, in a mystery case. Oh, well, and that's where the red herrings come in. So what my initial thought was baseball. You've got ball, strike, ball, strike. So you've got four chances at a ball and three chances at a strike before friggin' you're and, running off. And two and a half at a foul. Right. But we're, we want to lead them down that path, but we want to make sure that they don't think that, oh, I know where this is going. And the, the, the big thing on, like, and we get into tropes and things like that is do it in a new and interesting way. So we're going, oh, we're going to go this route Oh, cool. Oh, nope, we're not going that route. Oh, no, 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 we are going that route. Oh, this is how we're going to do it. Cool. So you give the reader a couple chances. You give the back and forth, back and forth to where they're engaging their brain because you want it to be a little bit of a challenge depending on what you're doing to where, oh, they don't know where the story's coming from necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the second they know 
how the story's going to end, they're done with the story. True, at least emotionally. <clears throat> My turn, or are you yeah. good? I'm... Okay. So, uh, what I'll say about foreshadowing, besides the rules we've already gone over, it's kind of building on exactly what Michael already said. It's, uh... General suggestions for foreshadowing me with me is don't be fucking poetic and using prose when foreshadowing. That is a horrible way to foreshadow. A foreshadow, it's a clue. It's a hint. It's not a hold on while I plant a rose bush around this very important thing with a neon arrow. Um, <laughs> don't do that. and It's just wasteful, as Michael was saying. It's Now, the exception... Where you break the rule is writing medieval fantasy. There's nothing like a good prophecy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know, where you have a poem or a song or a, a, a cryptic letter that's found referring to. But if you're a smart writer, don't make that. Don't make it obvious. Don't yeah. make it set in stone. Give breathing room on that. Give room to move around. Because you'll find as you go along, you need to be able to adjust that prophecy to where your story goes, as opposed to adjusting your story to the prophecy. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the translation of a translation issue, where you can play with things like that, um, or double meaning issue, a great army will fall, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're great to set, set the stage. Yeah. Um, Great opportunity for redirection uh, if your characters think, interpret it as one way and then it twists on them at the end. Right, which that's something that Tajinter was saying. Sherlock Holmes and Robert Downey Jr., you go through the whole movie with this build-up to magic and then reveal it was a long con. Um, and once you know all the steps, you can see it, but all the way up to that point, it's hidden. Um, <laughs> Tajinter adds about the prophecy thing. If it's translated more than twice, please stop trying to make it rhyme uh yeah now going back flipping back to q's question q asks do you do you run into a moment where an editor wants to remove a moment or a part of your work that has irked you in any way and if so how often does that happen i'll start with this one since you guys got to start all the others no because i have an editor that works with me Um, Usually to get that sort of feedback, I have to push my editor into, what about this? What about this? Where I'm poking at certain parts of my story that I'm not sure of it's how it's working out. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you have an editor that's generally working with you, but then again, apparently I write a clean copy from what everybody tells me is it's pretty tight on the rough draft, let alone once I do that first edit. What about you, gentlemen? Um, as Travis said, friggin', your editor is your strategic partner. They see where this is going and they want to make a good product. And I'm going to harp on this as long as you're a subscriber to the thing. This is a business we want to make good product uh, because we want because people want to buy good product. Um, so now they see where things are going and if they want to remove a moment it's either because they see something of that strategy that doesn't align 
and they're going to bring up, hey, what's going on here? Why is this like this? Um, but I kind of follow the two months degree rule. Um, whereas, let's say I have Travis and Michael acting as my beta readers. They read through it, and they both give me their notes, and they say, but if both of them pop up, and they hit the same thing, something's wrong there. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be both of them. Michael can come to me and go, I don't like this. I don't like your word choice here. And I go, holy shit, you're right. Um, and I cut it. Uh, and I've had I've done that before. Um, I've used uh, word choices because uh, modern context was not the same as what I was trying to feel for the guy. Um, so I changed a couple word choices. Um, Sometimes a little bit purple. Hold on, so you're, you're mm, blurbing again there. Oh, sorry. Okay, um, go on. I've had beta readers come back and say, hey, the prose is a little bit purple here. So I've got, oh, you're right, let's adjust. Um, whereas an editor is going to do all that for you. And, they, and like I said, they're a strategic partner. They want your product to be as good as possible because their name's tied to it too. Um, and if it doesn't sell, you're not buying their service to make your next product better. Michael, when you answer this, you might want to include your beta readers in this same thing. Do you want me to repeat mm -hmm. the question for you? Um, no, I got it. Do they? Uh, do you ever want to? Do they ever want you to remove anything that you don't want to remove? Right. Um, and I don't think that I don't think that's ever happened to me. Uh, I have uh, had people, you know, want clarification on certain things. Um, but generally, everything that's in there, I feel, is significant and. Um, if I, if I ever did run into it, I would probably not want to remove it anyway. I would either be like, how do I make this work? Um, because I, I generally, I feel like I, I, like if anything gets, if anything gets removed, it's early on where it's, where I'm not like fully surrendering to the flow of the story. And uh, I want to put something in cause I think it's cool, <laughs> but I'm like, but I'm like, I can save that for. For something later maybe this will organically show up later yeah and yeah. i want to comment on that to to clarify now that michael brings that up i have had certain phrases that an editor or oh, a beta God. reader has looked at and went maybe you don't need in that that in there and i'm like but i like it which is not a good reason to keep it in there mm -hmm. um aaron what were you gonna say um Going back, because Michael brought up a great point, and a lot of times you're going to see us do this because he's like, oh, shit, he brings up this great memory of why we did things. Uh, when I wrote Persona Non Grata, I had actually started him off in a spaceport weeks before. I actually cut probably 20% of the first book out mm -hmm. uh, because the roller coaster ride wasn't steep enough to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I just removed that chunk. Um, and... It was a smart move. Uh, the tempo wasn't flowing right, and it wasn't through anything editor-wise. It was I got a couple of little feedbacks and like, okay, I like this, I like this, I like this, uh, but I did get a couple of secondary comments in regards to the tempo, uh, slow burn, things like this, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, wait a second, and then all comments about, wow, this is where the story really picks up. Mm -hmm. I was like, why don't I start the story here then? And I pulled it and I saved it. I didn't yeah. cut it. Uh, I just removed it from that portion of my story for the time being, um, which it didn't irk me because once I'm into the editing phase, 
it's no longer my baby. It's a different hat. It's a different yep. outlook. Yep. Okay, gentlemen, right. let's look at wrapping this up for the evening and everything. Anybody have any final closing thoughts of anything they didn't get to say at this point in time? Excellent. Uh, I have a I have a boasting pipe. If you if you want to see it real quick, you you want to play a quick little uh, prop for the table? No, I can't. I can't do it yet. <laughs> but here it is. Very good. Kind of neat. So we, I might I might have to put this on my book t- signing table. I'm not sure. Oh, uh, we got to get you a lanyard, sir. Uh, it's got a little got a little chain on it. So it looks this looks very much like uh, Winslow's. Let me really Winslow's recommend pipe. go with the cloth lanyard over a little chain. Oh, the chain is going to pop yeah, and break. That's true. Yeah, and also if you're in the sea air, chains of any sort never really do great. It's either stolen or tarnishes. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Gold will be um, stolen, silver, and any other sort of metal like that will tarnish. Yeah, th- th- this looks expensive, but it's not. <laughs> um, Brass tarnishes and, too. You'll uh, be polishing your whistle if you know what I mean. I do. I do want to say um, uh, one of my favorite bits of foreshadowing, which I'm just remembering, uh, was in Chicken Boy Four, and uh, there was a moment where uh, one of our main characters, Matt, uh, he he wins this. Uh, he wins a, a bear at a crane game uh, for a girl that he has a crush on, um, and the, and then later on there is a there's a moment where the the specific skill of operating a real crane comes in, comes into uh, comes into play. And he's he's like, oh hey, I'm a master of the crane game, and then and then he runs up, and <laughs> it's a hilarious it's a hilarious moment. He runs up, and he's like, and they're like, there's no way they're gonna let you use that thing. He's like, hey, can we use that thing? And the guy's like, sure, kid, knock yourself out. He throws in the keys, he catches them. <laughs> they're, they're they're like, oh, that was lucky and probably illegal. And then it gets in. And they're like, there's no way a real crane is anything like the game at the arcade, Matt. They get inside. There's lights and everything. It says test your test your luck. And they're like, oh well, I'll be darned. He's like, quick, someone someone toss me a quarter. <laughs> and it says um, Deus Ex Machina Corp on the crane, and this is where <laughs> this is where it gets like really cerebral. So this is the extra layer for like the parents if they're reading reading it with their kid. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, Deus Ex Machina because the crane just like appears there, um, but it was but it was set up with the skill, so that's not necessarily Deus Ex Machina. But the extra cerebral layer is that um you know the term deus ex machina means i think god from the machine and it was it was back uh when plays would lower a some type of god or goddess uh, via crane onto the stage to help the mortals solve the task and in the book they lower one of their friends on the crane um to solve the task and i won't spoil how how they do it because it's really funny um but yeah that's one probably my favorite recent uh foreshadowing that i did nice okay well, this whole show has been to foreshadow what the show is, what direction we're going in. So we're going to wrap this up now. Once again, I want to remind folks that, hold on, let me see. I think I've got it right here. I think, yep, there we go. There's the email. If you guys want to drop any thoughts, rightnightshow at gmail.com. For those of you listening to this on a podcast, feel free to drop your thoughts about the topic. We may read them on air as well as any uh, birthdays or messages that you want to send to somebody that you know listens to the show. Or will listen to it because you sent a message that's going to be saying that. Um, Next week's topic, we're going to be talking about contrast. Hold on, hold on. Put it on the reading glasses because I wrote it down. 
Contrasting environments, so like utopian versus dystopian, law versus chaos, light versus dark, protagonist versus whatever's coming up. Antagonist. <laughs> I also want to remind everybody that uh, we have our other shows. On Sunday night, we have the D&D show. On Monday night, we have Talk of the Tavern. And I wanted to thank everybody who threw bits tonight. That would be Andrea and uh, people who subscribe, like Freedom in Spring, to Ginter who subscribed, Tracy who threw bits and subscribed, and everybody else who came in and hung out with us. And there's the one right there. Get the booty song going. I guess you guys can hear it. Thank you for your bits, Michael. Here's to you, man. Um, I do want to thank everybody who is supporting me on my Patreon, which I don't have that information in front of me now because this was very much an off-the-cuff show for tonight. And Aaron, it's on his Twitch page. We're going to top the page. There we go. Yeah, you can check that out and let us know there. I think that's pretty much it. Anybody got any closing thoughts before I hit the outro music? Um, follow me on Instagram. Follow him on Instagram. <laughs> follow Michael on Instagram. I need more friends. <laughs> and you can follow Aaron on Instagram too, but he don't check his shit. So. <laughs> I got lie to you and say I do. Okay, outro music coming. Have a great night, guys. Uh, to saying, and I 100% need to write a story where they're actually a utopia, and it sucks because the actual utopia is kind of monstrous. That's called dystopia. Dystopia are usually borderline utopia. Good night, everybody. We'll catch you again Bye, next y'all. time. There we go. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday. At Capella University, Education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday.